Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Miss Pauline Chalmers, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Good, thank you. Really excellent, good. Excellent. For those of you tuning in, welcome to the Ethical Property Partners podcast. This episode I'm especially excited about because Pauline is a shining example of someone who had started in property whilst having a full-time job in fact a global finance role with a big blue chip and we've talked about Pauline's story previously I don't want to recap on that uh, massively I'm sure a little bit will come into this conversation but the reason I've asked Pauline back on is because as many of our regular listeners will know Pauline and Amanda now support all of the franchisees across England and Wales and we are finding that more and more partners are wanting to piggyback their property investing career and business on the back of a job. And I think this is coming about because many of us are now facing, it's probably the wrong word, but many of us are now facing the opportunity of being able to work more flexibly than we ever have in the past. So it's not unusual now for us to have to go into work one or two days a week rather than five days a week. Well, all of a sudden that gives us masses of flexibility. So what we are seeing is we're seeing more people come to EPB saying, actually, I can now fit 15 hours a week of property investing into my diary because I'm not spending an hour a day commuting, because I'm not spending two hours a day commuting, or because my day job can now be spread evenly across seven days, which gives me more time Monday to Friday to to do investing, which I'm really excited about, Pauline. So maybe we should kick off, Pauline, by asking what you've experienced and what you've seen in in your clients in the the England and Wales franchisees in terms of changing working habits how has that affected your clients i think a lot of people more people are open to the idea of of working and doing two things if you like there's been a lot more mindset shift where people recognize multiple streams of income are really beneficial so there's been more appetite um, to do that not just doing their day job but actually finding a way of incorporating something else they're really passionate about alongside it and it gives them the knowledge that their income's continuing on a continuous basis whilst they're building another business that they can leave that to you know or leave leave their job in order to do that full-time if they choose to in, in the future so I think it's a mindset change across the country over the last few years and a lot of people have aspirations to be in property but maybe don't know how so mm. it's something they can start on a part-time basis and gain the knowledge they need without actually jumping into it with both feet from the start. I think you're absolutely right Pauline. I kicked off this podcast talking about the opportunity that people are now faced with so the the fact that they can now do it. What you've I think so um, astutely identified there is the fact that they might need to do it so some people want to leave their day job and are using property as a means and we've got loads of examples of this now of partners who came on board with zero passive income in fact I talked to one partner yesterday our monthly training day um, we did a little breakout room for our most experienced partners and their stats were unbelievable. I think um, in three years, they'd raised their passive income by £6,200 a month. So that's passive residual income that just comes in every single month. 
and I think their net worth had increased by 1.7 million pounds. So there are people that want to do that. That partner was in full-time employment when they joined EPP. So they've managed to transition from full-time employment to more than their previous salary from property every month as a passive income. Now that's without counting flips and um, and lumps of money that they make from buying and selling property and charging finders fees, etc. That's residual income from the properties they already own. So there's people that want to do that. But also I think, and this is what, what you were just saying really resonated with me, is there are people who are now thinking, what if this is enforced on me? What if I no longer have a job? What if I'm made redundant? What if my company goes under? The the stats on companies that are expected to go under, and we've seen some really um, famous casualties over the last few years. What if my job isn't there anymore quite suddenly? Wouldn't £6,200 a month coming in regularly without me having to have a day job really help me to support my family? So I think you're absolutely right, Pauline. I think there's the the flexibility that makes it more possible for more people now, but there's also the, the desire to have it and more of a necessity. I think, I think the necessity was always there, but I think people are more aware now that their job is a fragile thing. And one of my mentors, Nick, Nick James, who we've had on the podcast a couple of times, he says that the worst number in business is the number one. If you have one employee and they quit, you have to do all the work in the business. If you have one supplier and they do a bad job, you've got no one else to go to. And you'll relate to this, um, Pauline. (laughs) You know, if you've got one leaflet deliverer, if you've got one lawyer, one mortgage broker, one lender, it's all really, really risky. Well, if you think about an employee, they have one client. They only have one business that pays them money. Whereas if you've got you know, let's take that example, that client who's earning £6,200 a month passive income, that's what he's paying himself out of his portfolio after all costs. That is coming from 17 different clients. He's got 17 sets of tenants paying him rent. He's got 17 properties. That's pretty stable. That's, I'd say that's way more stable and much safer than a, than a, a job paying him £6,200 a month. So I think you're right to identify that, um, Pauline. I've just given an example there, but I know you've got clients who you've partners who you've been supporting through COVID who have been growing their businesses alongside day jobs, whether their day jobs have required them to go in to a place of work or whether they've been working remotely. How have, um, how have they got on? The day jobs are actually, there's a variety of, some of them have a job and they're, they're employed by someone else and some of them run their own businesses. So it, it, from our perspective, it doesn't make any, any difference which one it is. It's more they spend some of their time focused on a job or a business and some of their time focused on building their property portfolio for the future to give them the lifestyle now and also to future-proof their income. Because as we know, property pays out the rent, whether you work on it or not it's 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 residual you can leverage your time really well with it as well um so what i've what we've seen is some of them come on board where they 
they start and their initial plan is to to leave their job or to leave their to sell their business and move on from it and some of them don't want to do that some of them are really passionate about what they do we've got some some of our partners are teachers and that for them is a vocation they love what they do and they don't have any short or medium term plans to leave it but they do want to build a portfolio of properties so they're quite interesting they're very much time constrained on when they can spend in their property business because they, they've got to work in their job on term times. But what they do is they really focus their time to make sure that they can still work their property business when they've got time available. That might be on a Saturday or of an evening and they spend their, their daytime, which they're very, I don't know, everyone knows about teachers, they're, they're under a huge amount of pressure to deliver results in their day job. But they spend their extra time and they, their 15 hours a week that they commit to work on their property business, they, they do it outside of that. Um, and their plan is to continue to do that for a number of years and then consider quitting their job. And one, we've got, we've got a few teachers, but one, one of them in particular is a couple. Both of them are teachers and they've said that they want one of them to leave sooner than the other one. One is one is more of a vocation than the other. So it's really flexible, but it's it's that commitment to we know that in order to make this business work, you need about 15 hours a week committed time into your property business. And they find a way to make it work around their family, because they've, they've got children, and their lifestyle while still delivering on that 15 hours and getting results, getting great results. That says it all. When when I left teaching uh, you mentioned a couple of teachers, so it reminded me of me. I thought it was all or nothing. I thought it was I was a teacher or I was in property investing. And so I left. I quit in 2007. I went cold turkey from nice, comfy salary every month, paycheck to zero. I'm, I'm now a property investor. I best make this work. And I've talked previously about how that really focuses you and really gets you going um, and forces you to take action. But I think if I went back and saw myself now, I wouldn't have put myself under that pressure. I, I put on about a stone and a half in weight my first year in business. I was so stressed. And you can say, oh, you know, you didn't have to eat all that junk and you didn't have to. I was getting up at 5am to work. I never got up at 5am in my life. Um, I was working at 5am, so I was getting up earlier than that. I can remember sitting in my conservatory, freezing at like 5am and working. I was networking. I was often networking till 9, 9.30, 10pm. It was really unhealthy for me. Now, I was 25, 26, so felt like my body could could handle the, the battering, but I don't think it could that well because... You know, the proof of the pudding, literally. It was around your waistline. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The proof of the pudding was in my spare tire, yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, you cheeky monkey. Um, so I think if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't put myself under that pressure. I would do it more um, serenely. I'd do it more safely. I'd do it more gradually because... There's no need to put yourself under that pressure. Um, I was lucky, and you could say, well, I made my own luck. You know, I worked really hard, had loads of, threw enough mud at the wall that some stuck, and, and, and then I made the most of it. But I bet if there were 10 of me doing that, a high proportion would have failed and gone under. And and why risk that? Why, why put yourself under that pressure? So if, if yeah, if I was to redo it now, or if, if I was to speak to my younger self, I think I'd say, go speak 
to your boss, and I, I say boss, it was head teacher in my case, and ask if you can go part time, if you could do four days a week or three days a week, which keeps the salary coming in, it keeps you mortgageable. In the example of the couple that are both teachers, what a good idea. You know, one of them can go part time, the other carries on full time, and then one of them drops completely and they gradually build the, the business because that um, partner who's at £6,200 a month, that wasn't magic. He's gradually bought 17 properties over three years. And for some of the regular our regular listeners on the podcast, 17 properties over three years is not that many. That's not setting any records. But the cumulative effect of buying cash flow positive properties, BMV, is massive. 1.7 million and uh, what's that as an annual salary? That's 73 grand a year. You know, that's a decent salary um, before tax in anyone's uh, book, I think. So, yeah, I think being self-aware enough to do it in the right way to invest you're absolutely right 15 hours a week is what we say is a minimum to come on epp and to really get traction stop playing at property we, we have a lot of people come to us that have been dipping their toe in the water and not really committing so to commit fully we say 15 hours a week is a minimum and then look at how much you want to ramp that up if at all in in the future when you came on board, Pauline, what, what was your level of commitment? Because you were pretty much full-time, I think, when you started in EPP, weren't you? I was, and, and over the years, it's, or over the years since then, it's, it's, I've reduced my time in my corporate job, not regularly, but, but enough to give me enough free time to do that, make that 15 hours. My commitment initially was 22 hours, so very quickly I went down to four days a week, four long days a week. Um, and when I, you say a commitment of 22 hours, sorry to interrupt, was that a commitment to your employer or a commitment to your property business of 22 hours? Commitment to my property business. Right. So you started at higher than 15 then. Yeah. So that's 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 a decent commitment given you had a full-time global role. Yeah. Yeah. I, but a really flexible role that I could, uh, uh, as a global role, you, you know, you deal with Asia Pacific first thing in the morning from a UK perspective and Latin America and the US last thing at night. So I had a, I had a lot of flexibility too, but it still meant working longer days because I was starting early and finishing late. I just, I just could flex my time and choose when I chose to work in my corporate job and also work in my property business. I was just looking at the, some of the stats. We had our we had our monthly training day yesterday. Can I just say, Pauline, this is hilarious, right? I think this is the first time ever we've had someone quote stats on the podcast. And this is why you're so amazing at running England and Wales alongside Amanda is because you have stats at your fingertips. (laughs) (laughs) People that regularly listen to podcasts know that Frank just waffles on. And (laughs) if I'm lucky, I get someone interesting to waffle alongside and it's not a monologue. But you've got stats. Tell me some stats because I think this is uh, an EPP first on the podcast. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I was thinking about our training day yesterday and, and out of everyone that was there, how many people had started full time in property and how many people had actually done it alongside a job or a business. And out of the of the group there yesterday, 46% of them were still running a job or doing a job or running At a business. At this stage of their property investing, they they still had a, a, a job right now? Not all of them right now, but when they started on their when property started, business, when they started right. property, with us, because I don't know what they did prior to that. I'm not, not going yeah, so to go into just under half. Wow. Just under half were uh, when they started on their property journey with us. And some of them were experienced property investors. Many of them were 
completely novice property investors just starting and wanted to partner, as we say, with an organisation that could fully support them and ensure that they took the right steps on that journey with the training, mentoring, coaching, support, systemization, everything they would talk about on APP. But 46% of them, when they started with this, were continuing, chose to continue to have a job or run a business. And that makes sense because if someone's got a full-time role and they're only able to commit 15 hours a week or, or perhaps a few more, they want to make sure they spend that time as focused and as effectively as possible. They want to make sure they're not spinning wheels and getting nowhere. That's fascinating. Thank you for introducing the first stat ever on the podcast. We might have had some stats to be fair, but it made me chuckle because those are words that have never come out of my mouth. I can tell you, I have the stats right here. (laughs) We've got quite a lot of experience now, 46% of, uh, of our partners started whilst in a a business or an employment of some kind. Some of them have done fantastically well. Some of them have um, not done so well. Some of them have really struggled before they came to EPP and then changed what they were doing and then are absolutely flying. I'd love to hear a few of your top tips for what people should do because I'm sure a lot of our guys listening would say yeah I'm in that situation I can afford 15-20 hours a week to invest in property I really want you know I'd love to be in that guy's position where I add what's 1.7 divided by three years 600 odd grand a, uh, a year 550 grand a year to my net worth half a million a year to my net worth that'll go down nicely thank you very much and um, six grand a month to my cash flow over the next three years. I'd like a bit of that. What would your top tips be for what to do or what not to do? You know, what mistakes have you seen people making and what best practices have you seen for people to really make a success of piggybacking a property investment business on the back of employment? I think one of the challenges is it depends on where they're at. So for some people, they may already be in pain financially. So because there's a cost to doing this, there's a cost to for, for all types of training, isn't there? There's an investment in yourself for the training, mentoring, coaching, whatever whatever you decide to do. And to treat your property business like a job. Yes, it's a business that you own yourself, but actually to treat it as though it's a job, as if you're employing yourself in your business so that the commitments that you make in that timescale you honour. And I found this, it's quite easy to, oh, I'll I'll do that later because it's I don't have to do it. It's something I want to do because your job, your job can be quite demanding or your business can be quite demanding. So I think the first thing is, is to treat it like a job and allocate the time to that job, your property business, and dedicate the time. And initially what happens is there's, for, for our partners, when they come on board, we we handhold them continuously through the, the lifetime of with us, but especially in the first four weeks, because there's a lot happening in your first four weeks, depending on which marketing strategies we've agreed that we've agreed with you that you should do, then you want to get those up and running quite quickly. So there's a lot of training involved in developing yourself to understand how to apply those marketing strategies and get your marketing out there so that you start to see results really quickly. You get you then have motivated vendors contacting you and because we don't do any cold calling in, in, in our business, we have motivated vendors contacting us. So it's just really dedicating the time 
specifying when that time will be applied and then doing it. That's the first thing. And then being coachable around those steps. Um, and both of those are kind of mindset things that you would you would want to do because it is, it is easy to get detracted from your property business and do if you've got a job or a business that you're really familiar with, doing something new which is unfamiliar can sometimes be a challenge for people. I used to have a rule. So for years I didn't have an office. Um, interestingly, I'm back to not having an office now. So um, during 2018, 2019, we had all oh, seven, I think at one point, full-time staff uh, working from, from our offices. Um, and I've now wound that down to no one working in the office and everyone working remotely. But prior to about 2018, I only had one PA that worked in the office. And prior to that, I had no one working in the office. And so my whole team in 2009, I... Um, entered uh, business awards actually a business award competition and we had to tell them how many um f- full-time equivalent um contractors we had and i had 23 full-time equivalent contractors wow. between lawyers and mortgage brokers and refurb contractors etc so it's quite a big team all remotely as well as virtual pas etc and my business partner and i have always had a rule that we will not employ anyone who hasn't already worked from home. So haven't already been their own boss. Because if someone's working remotely, what we've found is that having a chat around the water cooler is really important to people. It takes a certain amount of adjustment to get used to not having that social interaction. Also that accountability, that very strong accountability of I'm supposed to be through the door, have my coat off and be sat at my desk by nine o'clock. Getting through the door, taking my coat off at 9.30 is frowned upon. So that accountability, also the, I can't watch Netflix for an hour and a half just because I feel like it at lunchtime. I'm sat at my desk and I'm, I'm, I'm working when I'm supposed to be working. All of that used to be a massive adjustment for people and and I think on EPP we help people with that because we give them or we help them to to come up with a quarterly plan that's going to work for them that's going to get them to their goals we help them with weekly accountability to themselves in terms of what they need to do on a daily basis we really I think are second to none in our ability to support our clients I had breakfast with a very prominent property investor and property trainer this morning funnily enough and we were comparing our two models in terms of how much support his clients get and how much support our clients get and very different models they charge different to to how we we charge but i do think that by going down the franchise route we give our franchisees well the phrase we use is as much support as you need to succeed and i i truly stand by that i do believe we give as much support as our franchisees need to need in order to succeed the interesting thing is sometimes that is have you did what have you done what you said you can do yesterday okay go away do it today and come back you know and it is micromanagement until people get into the the swing of it and are then flying on their own and they're in those healthy habits of basically running your own business the interesting thing now is a lot of people have had a flavor for that (laughs) they've been working from home like can you do your best work when you're sat in your pajamas and i'm not saying yes or no but some people can and some people can't some people need to get up go for a run have a shower 
um, get in their smart clothes and then sit at their desk, even though their desk might be in their bedroom before they can do their best work. Other people can be completely chilled and completely relaxed and, and have rolled out of bed five minutes ago and still be in their pajamas to do their best work. And neither is right nor wrong. But I think people have got a much better idea now of how they can work from home or how they can't work from home. And and I think that will lead to a lot more people looking to start their own businesses and in our case, get into property investing because they're thinking to themselves, actually, I can do this. What used to take me, if you think of most people's normal week, you know, uh, get up, breakfast, shower, get dressed, drive to work, that can easily take an hour and a half for, for someone, especially if they're living outside a big city. And then how much time is wasted parking the car and walking and getting your lunch at lunchtime and that. You can easily save three hours, maybe three and a half hours a day by not having to drive anywhere and having your fridge, you know, next door to the room you're working in and not having to dress up smart, et cetera, et cetera. So with that extra time, we can get better at our jobs. We can give our employers better value, which I'm all in support of. Um, and it opens up that possibility for, for having our side hustle, as they call it, uh, in America. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's interesting. In terms, and, and I think really important, Pauline, for sure. One thing I just realised, actually, it, when I was in my job and running my property business, but thinking about my job, I would frequently get up and be at my desk in my pyjamas and work in my pyjamas. And there's actually, a reason, there's a reason I said it's neither right nor wrong, Pauline, because I knew that. I've seen you on Zoom calls. <laughs> no, you haven't. I'm going to appear on Zoom with my pyjamas on. I don't want to say something over the top, but actually, that's, but that's not it. The point is now that I don't do that. I've just realised it doesn't even enter my head to start work in my pyjamas. I am dread. I'm, and I actually now I'm up. I do a workout because I've realised I work better for the whole day when I've done a workout first thing in the morning. And also I, f- I find it quite hard or, or more difficult to take time out of my day at lunchtime or in the evening. It works for some people and I've just found it more difficult for me doing it first thing in the war- morning works and it really sets me up powerfully for the day. I didn't do that when I did, had a job, but I do it now when I'm running my own business. So I've noticed my mindset's changed about my job. I think when you show up at your desk in your pyjamas, yes, it's very easy and I'm not judging anyone who does that. But my mindset is different now about how I look at how I spend my time in the daytime than how I used to spend it actually when I work for someone else as opposed it's to now when I work for myself. Yeah, so you've all, you're almost holding yourself to a higher standard now that it's, it's your, it's your yeah, time it's and more, it's your time. Yeah. <laughs> it's more important to me for sure, yeah, especially when I've got a team as well that um, I'm responsible for paying their salaries. So, you know, I show up differently. I just, I've just seen that for the first time. Mm. Um, so what else might be critical for people to get? It's, you've kind of alluded to a lot of things around the, the, how we support them. And one of the things that I see initially for, for many, many people, and, I, and it was the same for me, is we plan everything. You need to know where you want to get to in order to direct your focus and attention to get to that goal. If you're, if you're not very sure about where you want to get to and it's very vague, then you're scattergun around the steps that you take each day and each minute. So one of the first things we do is is, is planning and, and we look at our educational concept, the results equation. But a lot of people are challenged by that. They might not know what their firm goals are where they want to be in 10 years. So it's creating that why and really making it tangible for them and tangible for themselves as to 
why they're doing this, why are they working for 15 hours minimum in their property business alongside doing a job or a business, because that, that takes something, doesn't it? They've got to want something else beyond what they currently have. And we, we really help them with that. So it's creating a why and then that why then drives their behaviour where it would be easy to finish their job and go and sit in the sofa and watch Netflix as opposed to calling back that motivated vendor who's made a call to them that day because they've received any sort of marketing that we have, whether that's a newspaper or a leaflet or a letter, etc. So that that why, creating that context, that why for them, that's a, a an important step in really clearly quantifying. When the going gets tough, and it invariably does in, in anything, whether it's a job, whether it's a business, whether it's property investing, having that big goal, that that big reason why is uh, is 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 so important because otherwise i think your, your head can drop and it it becomes harder and and I, I think one big one for me that that i see time and time again with um with epp partners is the confidence in the system mm. so i i see people get a bit frustrated or a bit uh, disillusioned at times and we, we had it yesterday you know we did a review because a few people were saying marketing isn't working so so well at the moment you know my acquisition costs are going up or my marketing's not even working and just doing a review in fact uh, Amanda did it uh, with uh, a big chunk of the, the partners just doing a review across the whole country of okay who's using what strategies and which ones are working best at the moment and when you can see that Fred in the town opposite you or the, the town adjacent to you is um, is using newspaper advertising and it's working brilliantly. And Joe, the other side of you in the next town is using leafleting and it's working brilliantly. And you're, you're using post office advertising and it was working amazingly last year, but now it's you've not had a call for a month from vendors. It, it fills you with confidence to say, okay, I'm going to switch strategies and I'm going to try newspaper marketing in my town now I'm going to try leafleting now or conversely both of the ones neighboring you are using post office advertising and getting great results it gives you the confidence to stick with it and go well there's no (laughs) you know maybe it's just one of those things I'm I have been getting three or four calls a week I've not had any calls for four weeks I just need to hang in there a bit longer because it's probably just you know up the ups and downs and the 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 statistically it will even out for me so I think that support network can play a big part in keeping you motivated uh, for sure. Any other tips, Pauline, for, for people who are currently employed setting up their own property investment business? Things to avoid or things that they can do? But most people in a, in a job or in running a business, they have a, a, a level of experience and capability within that job and that business. And if they're new to property investment, then... They, they want to develop themselves to a similar level or above in order to make a real success of that business. So partnering with someone who, a, a trainer or a coach, whatever sits well with them, who can provide that level of training and development to get them to a really more than competent level where they achieve their goals. You know, they've created their goals, how they're going to achieve those and not doing it in isolation. Because if you don't know what you don't know, when you go into something new, it's daunting and it's very easy to make make lots of mistakes. Whereas if you partner with someone who has lots of experience, who's walking the talk and 
is at the front line because the market's changing constantly, isn't it? We've seen the results of recent events, whether it's Brexit or the pandemic, has changed lending criteria. I mean, lenders nowadays want to know your inside leg measurement apart from your bank balance. You know, there's a lot, a lot of changes. So you don't know which lender to go with that's going to be very slow or very fast, etc. So all that kind of expertise, you want to have an access to that so that you don't make the mistakes that are rookie mistakes you can learn from others. And so that's the first thing. So, and you, you want someone who who walks the talk with it, as I said, not just my recommendation would be not to work with a trainer or a coach who's good at what they do, but they're not on the front line because they, the market is changing all the time. And as we've just talked about marketing strategies, if they are not at the front, the, the coal face, if you like, then they, they won't know that that leaflet was working and it's changed or newspaper adverts are working and now you want to go with leaflets, whichever the, whichever the switch is, and you haven't got that collective IQ, then you, you want to tap into all of that. So finding an amazing trainer would be my first recommendation. Being able to collaborate and support you in a way that works for you. So thinking about those teachers, they are not available in daytime. You know, they quite often start, uh, the teachers that we have as their partners start early and don't finish until, so they're not available in work, normal working hours. Well, you said we support them as individuals and we support them outside of those hours. So we don't operate just nine to five as a mentor and coach for them. We have calls. In fact, one of them I, I spoke to today and said, right, when, when are we putting the call? It's going to be an evening call with them. So we are available to support them in anything they need. And this particular one has three live transactions. This is this is a couple who are both teachers. They have three live transactions going through at the minute. So we're supporting them outside of ours. You want to like someone that you're going to work with, especially if you've got a, a long-term relationship with them. You're going to like them and you've got to trust them as well. Mm, absolutely. Those three live transactions, are those three purchases that they're going through at the moment? Yes. See, that's amazing. They're both full-time teachers. I know the couple. They've got kids and they're buying three properties at the moment, at the moment you know, when a lot of the world is still reeling from, from COVID. Good on them. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and they're not, they're not investing in an area that's near their house either where they live. Mm. Yeah, so they've gone through the goldmine area analysis. They've picked an area that's working for them, <laughs> evidently, and um, and are cracking on with with building a portfolio there. Is that have they picked an area that's going to bring in high cash flow? Is that what they've gone for? Yeah, high cash flow is their target. Makes complete sense. Before we finish off, the biggest <laughs> mistake I've made is I, I've seen people make, <laughs> maybe that I've made, is overconfidence. So a bit like mm. I was saying, quitting everything, quitting the job, which is the easiest way of getting mortgages, um, giving themselves like three months of bills, money in in the in their bank account, you know, and going right, I'm going to make it in three months, and it just puts them in a position of scarcity. So one of the most important things is whenever you're sat in front of a vendor, you certainly want the deal, but you don't need it as much as the vendor needs it. So the vendor must need you more than you need the vendor. You have to have multiple vendors and you're okay if they say, I need to think about it for a month. That's cool. We never do high pressure sales. It's like no problem at all, Mr. Smith. You know, should I give you a call in a month's time? Should I give you a call in two weeks, for six weeks? What would work best for you? You take your time. So when you're ready, we will leap into action. Um, as soon as it's you're in a position where you need the deal because you can't pay your mortgage in two months unless you do this deal, then I think vendors can smell it. I think they can smell the the desperation, and you and you you ironically get even worse results. So I think 
this concept that we've talked about today of piggybacking on an existing employment or an existing business and an existing income stream is so valuable because it gives you that, I'm fine. All I've got to do is keep following my plan and I'm fine. If I get my first deal in month two, brilliant. If I get my first deal in month four, no problem. If it takes six months, no problem because I know that I'm on track to do my 17 deals in three years or 20 deals in two years, whatever it might be. So that's one of the big mistakes I've seen people make. And it's funny, often I see that celebrated. Oh, well done. You know, you've thrown off the golden handcuffs. You've jumped in with two feet. You've backed yourself. But I bring it back to enjoyment and risk. Why risk everything when you don't need to? Why put yourself in a stressful situation, you know? Why give yourself mm. that huge spare tire, Pauline, as you so kindly <laughs> pointed out. <laughs> and, and that's right. And I, when I, you know, eight or nine years ago, when I was, well, 12 years ago, when I first looked at property for a property trainer, and again, eight years ago, and the advice from a very well-known, successful at that point in time, property trainer, the advice was quit your job and do rent to rent. And I was like, really? It didn't really sit very well with me as as logical because that security of of having a stable income was really important to me and it wasn't it was around mortgages yeah being mortgage you know being mortgageable but it was more around not having because that level of desperation if you if you're if you have to do the deal then as you say the vendor the vendor can smell that desperation whereas your posture is very much um you need me more than i need you then you're able to walk away and the, the vendor has space to say yes or no and that and, and both of them are fine because we want them we want them to be comfortable and selling to us but you're not desperate about it um one other thing i think is and it's linked to being overconfident is not having a big enough why so being too comfortable and not being willing to commit to doing whatever it takes to be successful their first deal and we find this we've had partners who have come on board and their first deals come from their first call which is amazing but for other partners it has come from in month four and if they stop at month three month four doesn't happen and that's when they start to see the results so it's it's really making that commitment that yes I'm you know I've I, I know why I'm doing this and I know the time scale could be super quick or might take a bit longer because their level of expertise may start at a lower level than the person did it in, in month one. And they've got, you know, they've, they've got to grow their expertise a little bit more. Some people are great on the phone talking to vendors and some people need to need a bit more practice and uh, a bit more coaching around it. And we provide all that, but it might take them a little bit longer. So it's that commitment to ongoing not blindly so that you you know you spend months and months and months and months because something might not be working we we always test and measure everything we review the results and then course correct every time but it's that commitment to the long-term goal that they have that's the second thing i like it a lot it reminds me of um anecdote that my um ex-father-in-law uh, used to uh told me so he was a chief pilot for a rather large helicopter uh company and um he told me that budget airlines, uh, whom I shan't name because I'd rather not have a lawsuit, <laughs> um, have a not great attitude towards pilot training. So well-known quality airlines, which I'm sure I can name, so he used the, uh, the example of British Airways, will put their 
pilots through and i can't remember the exact numbers but the equivalent of 30 hours of of training and it might have been 300 hours or whatever but 30 hours of training in the simulator um, before they do the exam and 30 hours means that eight in 10 pilots pass having done 30 hours but the lesser budget airlines that don't want to spend the equivalent of 30 hours for every one of their pilots because the simulator is really expensive will put them through five hours and they recognize that they're going to have a high failure rate it might be i think he said five in ten will pass and five in ten will fail but overall that's much cheaper than doing the 30 hours for everyone and they know that some of the good pilots won't get through even though they gave them a bit more time in the simulator they'd pass but some of the poor pilots who really needed the extra um, training will fluke it and get their result. And you might be sat there thinking, what on earth has this got to the problem investing rate? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. The reason that sprung to mind, that anecdote, and there's no more to it. If you were waiting for some really funny punchline, <laughs> there's no more punchline. But it sprung to mind because I know who that trainer was um, that, that you, you um, shared. It's funny that you said uh, they were famous. That really made me chuckle. They, at that time, could have stood on stage next to them a few people who had been in your situation had quit their jobs completely had jumped in with two feet and been massively successful and you in the audience could have looked at those one two three people and gone they haven't got more money than me they're not more intelligent than me they haven't got more property experience than me their job wasn't as hard as mine they've quit it why can't i and then you can um it's actually got a name in in st- statistics I've, I've studied statistics in my um, science degree you have uh, a million monkeys and half predict that the stock market's going to be higher tomorrow and half predict it's going to be lower and lo and behold 50 percent are right and the next day 50% are right and 50% are low, even though they're just pressing a red and a green button. And I've told you about this story uh, before. And after six months, you're left with one monkey because you've left lost half of them every um, day. But that one monkey is the best stock market investor in the whole world because he's accurately predicted the market going up or down for, the, for every single day of the last six months. Well, of course, he's not. He's still a monkey pressing buttons randomly. And the chance of him getting it right tomorrow is 50-50. It's that... Um, metaphor that I think sometimes people fall into. So let me come back to you sat in the audience looking at this previously famous property uh, trainer and he, he brings up his success examples and you think to yourself, oh, I could do that. Well, it's the same as looking at the monkey going, he's just a monkey. I could do that. But what you're missing is the rest of the million monkeys that fell by the wayside so to get those three examples of success how many people have failed it could be three others it could be 30 others it could be a hundred other people have failed in order to it doesn't mean just because there are three success stories doesn't mean that the system works it means sometimes the system works and i come back to the budget airline impl- um aircraft um, for a while i wouldn't pl- fly on budget airlines <laughs> i was like no if, if they're flipping a coin about whether they pass or not i'm not flying but then you know 7.99 for a flight got the better of me and i do fly on them now but um but my point is you're saying you know oh well you know 
pilots can learn to fly on five hours training no actually half of them can't and the other half some of those have been a bit lucky so i think that advice that you've had of jumping in with both feet and jacking in the job is yeah risky i think we're on mm. the same page with that mm. <laughs> although only one of us talks about uh, tells ridiculously long stories about <laughs> it <laughs> pauline i want to wrap up really by asking you to think of one partner not not the couple that we've already talked about at length but think about one partner who's had their business or employment uh, have has, have continued that and where they're really effectively slotted in um, their property investing can you just give us a little uh, a little example to to finish off with please there's a uh, one of our partners who started in february last year um, so it hasn't been going for a year and they very, very, very much work their property business part-time around their business. Um, they've got a, a business that they love. Um, I love their business, actually. I, I, I love their products. They want to maintain that, at least for the foreseeable future. So their property business is very much secondary to that. And they've always had aspirations to be in their pro- in a property business that never had never bought a buy to let previously and they've they are now doing a renovation on their fifth property as i say they work at part time this is another partner whose territory their gold mine area isn't near where they live although they travel the country england quite extensively anyway um and they've just they've worked the system and followed the processes that we have in place so and and for them what they do is they they make sure that they're fully engaged with us. So they were there yesterday at our training day. They come on our Monday morning webinar. They come into support that we provide when they've got a question. They're always asking us, right, what's my next step and the step afterwards? And that's all they're, they're interested in. They follow, they're very coachable and they follow the system. So we see it time and time again where people who have, you know, who've who've got a job but more aspirations or a business and more aspirations, that's brilliant, that's perfect because sometimes what can happen is if you have too much time, you can get a bit lost in it as well. You're not as focused. I, I see that people that have time constraints are sometimes more focused on getting the tasks done that need to be done in the time scale rather than wasting time because if you've got all week to do something rather than just 15 hours you can spend all week doing it so um yeah there's, there's loads of partners that I, I the one in particular that i'm thinking of and also many others who who successfully marry a business or a job alongside their property investment business what a heartwarming uh, example pauline <laughs> thank you so much um guys i hope that this rambling episode <laughs> if i can call it that no fault of pauline's um has given you some confidence whether you're a parent and you're thinking about your son or daughter's career and how they can stabilize their their future their financial future or whether you're someone who's currently in employment and is thinking to themselves do you know what i need to take that leap i need to start building myself a second income from property i need to start building myself a pension pot that i can control build my net worth build my passive income alongside my employed income or my um 
earned income each month. If if you're in either of those camps, then I really hope that uh, this episode has given you that impetus and that motivation to to take take action. And if if we can help you on that journey, if you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. You can drop us a, an email at support at ethical property partners, and we will help you guys to decide if property investing is right for you whether epp is a good fit for you and uh, and if if the answer to those two questions is yes then uh, fantastic we would love to support you in reaching your definition of success in 2022 thank you pauline for joining us once again and until next time guys happy investing cheers sophisticated property investing a podcast brought to you by ethical property partners the experts in sophisticated property investment